So, happy Saturday to everyone and welcome to the new episode of Civis Pachem, the podcast about transatlantic security and American foreign policy. Today, 1st of February, and we are your regular host, Dimitri and Vava. So, today on our agenda, first of all, the Middle Eastern plan of Donald Trump. Yes, and the very harsh reactions of Palestine. Yeah, yeah then we move to the report published by, by a very famous um, European think tank about cooperation in between NATO and European Union. Yeah, the, basically the defense policies of yeah. both, uh, both entities. Exactly. And last one, we're going to discuss the developments uh, with Huawei in Great Britain. Um, and like lastly, give you some updates about the impeachment uh, procedure. Which is slowly but surely coming to an end. Yeah. So let's uh, jump right into it. Let's go. So the first topic for today is President Trump's recently announced plan for the Middle East and more precisely the solution of the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. Yeah. This angered the Palestine and received huge support from the Israeli government. So Dimitri, tell us what exactly are the ideas in this plan? So yes, it's a long-awaited plan uh, drafted by Jared Kushner, um, the president's son-in-law and uh, advisor at the same time. And I guess it, um, you can see that this plan is predominantly pro-Israeli and favors uh, specifically Israeli government. Uh, and that's why it caused this uh, very fierce reaction from Palestine. Um, and uh, I mean, even not so many Arab countries kind of responded to this Middle Eastern plan. They said, uh, I mean, some some of them, for example, Saudi Arabia, it endorsed it, but not, uh, not a lot. There are not so many comments from them. Uh, but there are not so many comments from other countries either. So I yes, guess that's true. I guess this plan, um, I mean, it's, you can say it's a complete failure in terms of any kind of reconciliation ideas and reconciliation agenda. It's very biased and one-sided yeah, in and favor of Israel. So, in my opinion, it demonstrates that America abandons uh, its, uh, so to speak, two-state solution approach to this problem. And now they favor more pro-Israelian approach than any kind of uh, reconciliatory uh, approaches that they used to have before. Well, officially, this is still a two-state solution because it yeah. theoretically recognizes the idea of having an independent mm -hmm. uh, Palestine that's state. True. That's true. However, yeah, it was highly opposed by uh, yeah. Palestinians. For example, uh, the president of the Palestine uh, Autonomy, uh, Mr. Mahmoud Abbas, he said yeah. that he will reject the deal, uh, any form of a deal that's similar to this, that he yeah. will not go down in history as a president yeah. that gave up Jerusalem, which is yeah. one of the parts Main, of the plan. Yeah. And I think this is the biggest bone of contention here. Yeah, I guess you can name uh, some experts call that that's the whole plan is uh, like the America is shifting f to another approach from this two-state solution because basically it first of all it recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Isra Israel. Mm -hmm. This is the main problem here, and I see no other way that uh, Palestine can agree on this um, on these provisions. I also honestly do not see a way now for Palestine yeah. to have an independent state, yeah. especially after today's announcement uh, of the of Palestine that they will yeah. sever 
any diplomatic relations with both Israel and the U.S. after this outrageous uh, suggestion of this yeah. this plan. So yeah, they said they were, they're not even mm-hmm. going to discuss any security yeah. issues. So well, I think Palestine kind of isolated themselves by this move and gave up all yeah. hopes for negotiations. I guess. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, we should understand that no one supports uh, Donald Trump's approach to Middle East. I mean, in terms of a new Europe or Russia or any kind of other superpower, it doesn't endorse. It doesn't endorse uh, this approach. This and true, yeah. moreover, yeah, it only like Trump with these actions. It, it he exacerbates like the whole situation. Um, and we probably gonna see more casualties on the border, um, and this is not, I guess, good for sort of the Middle East. Uh, it only divides it, yes. probably. Yeah, but yeah, at the same time, um, we should also analyze why, for example, Trump issued this plan now. Yeah, that's a good question, and especially he was so proud of it to, to yeah. announce it. He called it like the greatest deal ever. <laughs> And I, I feel that he wanted to be the next President Wilson proposing great peace plans, but um, well, it didn't really work out. Nobody really endorsed this plan. No, no one exactly. Except for Israel. Except for Israel. I mean, some uh, uh, countries in the Middle East, um, particularly Saudi Arabia, that I mean, they're getting close with the Israel on some issues, and yes, for example, because they have a common enemy, which is Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this uh, this gets them very close with each other. So uh, I would say it's uh, it's a complete failure. I mean, a lot of people also like rumors of like Jared Kushner is very pro-Israeli. Um, I wouldn't name him even like a functioner, but a guy who is responsible for this for these things in the White House. He's very mm-hmm. pro-Israelian. And I mean, it basically, kind of this idea about Israeli lobby in the United States has gained so much ground. Um, maybe we see this as a, like the part of uh, electoral campaign of Donald Trump because but, he wants to. Yeah, win. that's true. But how do you think this failure? Because objectively, it is a failure. How will it? Uh, will have the repercussions for Trump in the elections? Uh, I guess it's not a failure if you look at this uh, like a Jew, for example, in the U.S., somewhere in Florida, and you really want to solve this problem, you this problem to be solved, and you see that you know, of course, uh, you know, Israeli, like of course, uh, Israeli government endorses this uh, solution, and you blame. You know, I mean, you can always say it's all about on this uh, Palestine that they never gonna agree with us on any kind of solution, on any kind of agreement that we can propose. And something like that. Maybe I would say maybe it's predominantly um, domestic thing. Mm-hmm. So you just want to um, uh, you just want to um, have a support, like gain support from swing votes, uh, voters, especially um, Jews in America. Yeah, in some possible. states like Florida or other states as well. And so that's uh, this covers the topic pretty much. Yeah, let's move forward to another one. Let's go. So the next topic that we would like to introduce, uh, that's a report published by uh, European think tank, Friends of Europe, uh, and this report, which is called A Minefield of Opportunity, Translating Defense in the Trump Era, um, basically gives a detailed outlook on European and NATO policies and how they work with each other. 
And it's very interesting report. We are going to link this uh, in the description of today's podcast. Uh, so, and I have a question for you, Baba. Yes. So, uh, how uh, would you assess this uh, document, this report, in conjunction with uh, like the acquisition by Poland of uh, F-35s? Well, the uh, the report is entirely about the defense policies and the politics behind it between the EU and uh, and the United States. Yeah. Uh, it basically shows that there are some uh, well different uh, goals that yeah. both sides want to achieve. Uh, there are many voices within the European Union to uh, rely less on the U.S. Yeah. protection uh, and invest more in domestic mm-hmm. uh, military spendings and military research and development. Yeah. Uh, however, the EU is not a single country and yeah. uh, it consists of many member states and not all of those countries follow with the increased yeah. European integration and defense policies. One of them being Poland, which uh, recently, actually yeah. uh, just yesterday, signed, uh, signed a deal to buy mm-hmm. 32 F-35 fighters, a very huge spending considering uh, the mm-hmm. budget that Poland has for defense. True. So this is another symptom of Poland getting a bit away from European yeah. politics and tightening uh, tightening the cooperation yeah. with the U.S. also in the defense sector. Yeah. Uh, we also see this in uh, Poles not participating in the European uh, project yeah. for a new tank, mm-hmm. which is being uh, which is being put forward by Germany and France and cooperating and to to replace the Leopard tank tanks. And Poland also does not participate in this yeah. and instead turns to Korea to find suppliers uh, for tanks. Uh, so I would say this is again uh, yeah. a symptom of Poland distancing uh, itself from European politics. Yeah, I mean, just also in favor of Poland's maybe defense defense objectives. Maybe now to rely more on the United States than on any kind of European um, military integration uh, processes. Yes, and I'm sure this pleases the U.S. highly because, yeah. first of all, uh, they earn money by exporting weapons, and yeah. second of all, uh, it's what they want to achieve. They want to prevent, uh, especially President yeah. Trump's presidency, they want to prevent the European tightening, uh, tightening cooperation mm-hmm. defense, and they want Europe to rely purely on the U.S., which basically um, allows for yeah. the U.S. to project more power in the European yeah. continent. Yeah, I guess it also makes sense in, ter- in terms of uh, where Poland is located in Europe, very close to Russian border. I mean, it has a border with uh, Belarus. Yes, that's um, true. And Russia. <laughs> and Russia as well. So um, you see uh, this kind of priority to rely on the United States. Again, to a certain degree, makes sense. But turning back to this report, I guess it's important to mention that mainly it stated that France kind of um, pushes this ag- agenda of sovereign Europe in terms of it should have its own military, it should have its own unified army, not, you know, not to rely too much on American support. Yes, this is true. And, uh, well, many politicians also put uh, forward the uh, notion that we cannot rely yeah. on the US as an ally because look at the Kurds. Yeah. They were also an ally of the US and they were abandoned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, especially like President Macron, he basically uh, is a huge uh, supporter of the idea of a European, mm-hmm. European army and calls yeah. NATO brain dead. Yeah. Um, but I don't think mm-hmm. so as many politicians would go as, as much forward to say that yeah. NATO is brain dead and obsolete. 
we should yeah. leave it and create a huge European army. But there are tendencies uh, to fostering, yeah. uh, strengthening cooperation, defense. I guess we should wait for President Macron's probably announce announcement in Munich Security uh, Munich Security Conference. Uh, I mean, there are rumors that there's going to be a big speech by Emmanuel Macron. This has already been, of course, preparing by his advisors. So there are leaks about the speech. Um, yes, um, I would say it also works very good for uh, domestic European. Not, not, it works very good, first of all, for uh, France's domestic market because you want to have your own um, manufacturer. Like you, you just like you all have manufacture base and military of course is very important and for France it's very important because for example if you look at um, manufacture index of France it's way more lower than for example in, in Germany because mm -hmm. I mean, uh, obviously France doesn't produce so many cars that it can sell abroad so it has to, to find some other ways to support its own um, industrial complex. But France actually has a quite developed uh, defense industry. Yes, that's uh, true. They have the Rafale fighters yeah. which are being exported. They also yeah. produce a lot for the, their domestic markets. They really do yeah. not import a lot of weaponry. Yeah, and, and they want to continue. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I think uh, Europe already uh, has proven that they can cooperate in defense, mm -hmm. research and development and production of military equipment. For example, the Eurofighter Typhoon project, which yeah. was a huge success, a cooperation of many countries who participated in the program to develop it. Now they operate the fighter, which is considered one of the best uh, interceptor fighters of the fourth plus generation mm -hmm. that are currently available in the market. Yeah, that's, that's true. But uh, Turning to other points, it's also worth mentioning that, for example, without Great Britain and the European Union, it's easier to have this common agenda. Yes, that's true. Britain has always been this yeah. member that kind of uh, slowed down the integration yeah. process, joining legs to European communities yeah. at first and then and being on the sidelines. Uh, Great Britain heavily relies on American military and has like very strong cooperation, which we cannot say about other countries, including France and Germany or other countries whatsoever. Yes, actually, Great Britain is one of the very few countries that export yeah. weaponry to the US, yeah. like the Harrier planes, which were exported to the US, yeah. uh, and none other European countries do so. Exactly. So you see, um, it's interesting that this pro like two processes they're happening now. Uh, but uh, as you can see from statistics, uh, which you can look up in this report, um, actually the output of European industrial complex and growing uh, every year. Yes. Um, and let's see how it, it's it's very interesting perspective for the future. I think it's also uh, worth mentioning the final points uh, yeah. the other made. He basically uh, makes predictions and uh, advises that the United States should not pursue a policy of hindering European uh, yeah. cooperation because it is to their benefit that yeah. a strong European Union as their ally would be a huge benefit for them because even though the US yeah. is a huge military might, they cannot be present everywhere in the world. Yeah. And it's good to have allies who might help you to intervene. I don't know, either in yeah. Eastern Europe or the Middle East, which the European Union is capable of doing. True, that's true. But author also makes a conclusion that it would take a lot of time because their platforms right now 
are way more different and they don't have True. any kind of integrated platforms you know, for tanks or carriers or ships yeah, um, that's true. Uh, military ships or whatsoever so it's a long path that they ch- chose um, and uh, let's see how it works in the future and it's an interesting topic not so many people now discuss it I guess yeah that's true uh, but let's see and of course we can also mention that um, this military, the, you can still have this NATO um, integration with uh, with the European Union due to the common fall, and this of course Russia uh-huh. on its eastern front, and this only unites them, uh, and which is also, I guess, maybe bad for Russian, uh, I don't know, <laughs> perspective. I, if if you, for example, look at, at this Poland's uh, acquisition of F-35s, um, oh, which going to be how many of them? 30, 32. 32. And they're actually aimed to replace all of the post-Soviet yeah. planes, uh, which have been operated by the Air Force for quite some time, but yeah. the government did not want to make any contracts for part deliveries yeah. for those planes. So uh, those planes will be tried to be maintained yeah. domestically, but now it will sever any ties that Polish defense uh, service sector, yeah. in terms of the Air Force, would have with Russia. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so my point, for example, is that it's uh, it's half of the jets that Russia gonna have uh, by 2027, I guess, according like five, five fifth generation jets to 57, um, and that shows you the importance of, of course, the US in this transatlantic security. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a nice topic. I guess we can wrap it up. Yeah, keep an eye on this common European um, movements in secure European projects in Europe. And let's switch to another topic. Let's go. So I'm coming back to our last big topic for today. That's um, the approval of Boris Johnson government to allow Huawei, a Chinese uh, company, to build its 5G network in the country. That's a pretty big development after, you know, Brexit think and now yes that's true <laughs> now uh, officially uh, great britain is is not a part of uh, european union anymore um and i guess for boris johnson there was another like very important decision it wasn't supported uh, neither by allies nor by domestic audience very controversial decision but i mean still in terms of uh, 5g networks um everyone understands uh, that you should build these uh, systems now because it's your advantage in the future. Yes. And so how, how do you look at this and what, what does it mean? Well, it's an interesting decision, especially now through Brexit. Uh, the UK yeah. is uh, kind of isolated on the international s- s- scene yeah. and you can see that they wanted to rely more on uh, relations yeah. with the US than the EU. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's interesting that they would adopt a decision that was opposed by the U.S. The U.S. highly opposes uh, the Chinese airflow trade in European markets because European countries are members of NATO. And China is currently one of the biggest foes of the U.S. So the U.S. are afraid of China Mm infiltrating the allies of the U.S. and their uh, communication networks. So why do you think, why would Boris Johnson go ahead and uh, adopt a policy that is not in line with the United yeah. States? So I guess, um, the first of all, as I already mentioned, and that's similar to any kind of like, the decision of any kind of government in Western Europe, and in Europe in general, because the US does not provide 
Uh, it, does, it simply doesn't have an opportunity to provide these countries with 5G network system. They don't have, like, so to speak, like this ready-to-install solutions yeah, that's true. as Huawei has. Of course, it's cheaper. It's also an important factor. And another thing, maybe you, you want to show with sovereignty in, in this way, in order, to stay, in order to say we're not dependent on uh, like the United States. And uh, I need to mention that um, Washington, um, not, not only White House, but also Senate and House of Representatives, they had pretty fierce campaign against this decision before that. I mean, still, I guess some senators are very vocal and against this move. Um, but as we, as post factum, as we see, Mike Pompeo visited um, London after this decision, and he said something like, um, "In reconciliation, something like, yeah, but uh, we we could not say that Great Britain is still our most important ally in Western Europe, and we're still cooperating them in every aspect that they can, and something like this." Um, so you can see that uh, this decision that. No, it, it didn't provoke any kind of sanctions or fierce criticism. Um, and I guess it's important to mention why, probably because of two factors. Uh, first of all, um, this decision to allow Huawei to build 5G network came with two provisions. First provision is not to um, install this network to military, any kind of military infrastructure and nuclear infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And second, to, um, I guess, to limit um, Huawei in building 5G network, I guess it depends, but it would be to 33% of all 5G network in the country going to be built by Huawei and kind of in this endorsing and encouraging its own, um, its own infrastructure, encouraging companies to build own British infrastructure or maybe American companies to step in and uh, so it will be no it Great Britain won't rely uh, solely on Huawei this is probably important um, yeah but still it's a major chunk of their network and yeah. it's a big step for the Chinese uh, investments in the European markets yes that's true but as I already said I guess the main thing uh, the US and tries to block these decisions, but it doesn't provide any solutions. So yeah, they cannot offer anything in, in return. I mean, speaking like on internet about uh, kind of structural factors, you have like either like a decision to build this network or a decision not to build it at all at this particular moment. And 5G networks are becoming way more way uh, more important right now, um, and in the future they're going to be even more important. So, I mean, obviously you have to do something than not to do anything at all. Exactly. So yeah, that was um, a brief description of the, the, issue, the issue with uh, the 5G networks in Great Britain. Yes, sir. Now we're going to give you some updates about other topics that we already covered. So uh, a few updates about news that we already covered. First of all, I guess impeachment procedure. Most important thing in the United States, what drives politics in Washington. And we're coming closer to an end of the whole thing, the whole procedure, the whole impeachment process, uh, because on Friday uh, the Senate voted not to obtain any kind of documents or um, call witnesses to Senate. And there was a decision that Democrats hoped to overcome by, uh, uh, by forming an ally, uh, an ally, so to speak, with some 
um, swing Republicans in Senate, and they gained support only two of them, and they needed the support of four of them, because now um, in the Senate we have 47 Democrats and 53 Republicans. So that's completely that uh, the idea to uh, continue this investigation completely failed, despite all this uh, mess with uh, John Bolton and uh, his new testimonies about how Trump uh, actually broke the law. And on Wednesday, next Wednesday, so it's 4th of um, February, we're going to have a vote uh, on impeachment in Senate. And this probably going to end the whole process because obviously um, Republicans are going to vote against uh, the idea to impeach Donald Trump. So that's how do, we, how do you feel about this, Vava? Are you sad or happy <laughs> about this? Well, I think it's kind of a disappointment. So I yeah. thought this would be a bigger thing, but it's true. Honestly, it's kind of quiet. I mean, especially yeah. in European media, you do not hear about the impeachment procedures too much. Yeah. Um, I th in the U.S. media, of course, it's a bigger topic, but I yeah. thought it would be uh, way more influential in terms of the upcoming uh, presidential elections. Yeah. I think we all know what the results of the vote will be. So I yeah. think there'll be no surprises. Overall, it was just disappointing for me. True, I would say the same uh, about me because I I thought this topic would be a main topic in 2020. But now, as we see, maybe that was a strategic mistake of Nancy Pelosi to move forward this impeachment procedure and how to represent it. Rushed. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, for example, Republicans put forward this argument, for example, why you want any kind of witnesses, any kind of reports, uh, even though it's not a prerogative of Senate to conduct this investigation, it's prerogative, it's like the duty of House of Representatives to first conduct this investigation, then send everything to, uh, uh, to the Senate. Yeah. So you see uh, this idea to rush, to, to make this trial in two weeks or three weeks or whatever was maybe very false. Um, and now you see it gives maybe some advantages to Donald Trump because he can rally uh, and say, look, uh, there's a witch hunt and uh, nothing, they found nothing there and there was no, all for nothing and a waste of resources, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and another topic, let's cover virus. How yes, so we want to give you some updates on the spreading of the virus yeah. and the development of the situation. So as expected, the virus continues to spread. Uh, the so as of today, as of the first of February two thousand twenty, the official Chinese data state that there are eleven thousand, uh, close to twelve thousand people yeah. who are uh, infected, and around three hundred who died because of the virus. Um, there are also around yeah. twenty thousand cases of uh, suspected, um, suspected but not confirmed, the cases yeah. of virus infection. Um, but there are some scientists, there were scientists from Hong mm -hmm. Kong, who claimed that the Chinese government is basically covering up the real numbers, mm -hmm. and they uh, assess that around close to 100,000 people are infected already. Uh, yeah. This has to be taken with a grain of salt, because those scientists are said to be hugely anti-Chinese, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but there might be some truth in it. So. We should yeah. keep in mind that China is still an authoritarian government and they yeah. can be keeping uh, information secret. Yeah. However, the recent announcement by the World Health Organization that announced the virus of global, global threat mm -hmm. to, uh, to public health, 
uh, it made some countries uh, pursue more mm-hmm. uh, more actions. Many more countries closed their borders with China, yeah. and flights were cancelled from China all over the yeah. world. Uh, governments are evacuating their citizens mm-hmm. from China. Uh, so this gives hope that the virus will not spread outside yeah. of the city and outside of the country. And uh, Chinese government is also taking really uh, severe actions. Mm-hmm. In some cities, they forbid the citizens from leaving the house yeah. at all, only once a week or something just to do shopping. Uh, so China is also fighting with the mm-hmm. virus. And but this, there is a risk that they will not be able to do mm-hmm. it alone. Today, China officially asked the European Union for support uh, in yeah. fighting the virus. They asked they ask for send, to send medical supplies. So this shows that the situation is still very, mm-hmm. uh, very desperate. But some scientists, especially Chinese scientists, are predicting that soon we'll reach a peak of, uh, of yeah. infections. And afterwards, the number of infected should be going down. If it's true, okay. I have no clue. <laughs> I guess we'll have to live and see. Yeah, I guess it's only, uh, I couldn't say the beginning of... Uh, this uh, epopoeia with uh, virus, but we're definitely somewhere in the beginning of this uh, story. And uh, also worth mentioning that it already hit hard markets and uh, global economy. Yes. Because the disruptions in, in the chains of production and supply, in the chains of supply of goods and services. And we also see very bad dynamic in terms of oil prices. They hit like 50 uh, bucks per barrel. And this is historic. I know it's not historically low, but this is historically low dynamic, I guess, since 1991 or something like this, since the Gulf War, basically. And yeah, it disrupts world economy, definitely. And um, this is the last topic. And it we, is. Um, uh, yeah, came to the to the end of the podcast. Yeah, we're wrapping up here. So subscribe to our channels on whatever platform you are. Listen to us, uh, rate us, give us good comments, share and with your friends. Stay tuned for next episodes. See you next week. Goodbye.